Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Mark, and if you are looking at your fridge fold and saying, I thought Pastor Dan was uh, speaking today, uh, you were wrong. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, Pastor Dan was actually uh, scheduled uh, to, to teach, but uh, we as the, the body of Christ, uh, life Life happens, and we are interreliant on one another, so you get me today. So, uh, yay, there we go. No offense to Dan, though, but Dan, we, we will, he'll be up uh, later uh, in, in this series, all, all is well. Uh, so, but that's one of the beautiful things about, about our church, and that, that we are able to support one another uh, when, when we need support. So... Uh, very cool. So, hey, uh, today uh, we are beginning Pathways 2015. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, yeah, we're very excited and uh, excited that you guys are going to be here. And I have the opportunity to uh, talk about worship today, which is really, really uh, cool. And I was thinking about, about this, and, and there's so many different thoughts on worship, and, and especially throughout the centuries uh, that that the concept of worship has, has changed and people's understanding of worship and, and things like that. And I just wanted to throw it out there really quick. When you hear the word worship, what is one of the first things that, that come to your mind? Song, Song. right. Song or, or, or music. And uh, maybe a second thing would be prayer or a worship gathering or service or something like that. And, and that's really kind of a, a modern uh, 20th and, and 21st century way of looking at, at worship. And as important as music and song is and, and gatherings are, uh, today hopefully uh, we'll be able to take a step back and, and think about, about what worship was in the first century and how first century Christians thought about worship. You know, that, that it would be interesting, I think, for first century Christians to uh, come to one of our worship gatherings. Uh, some things they would recognize very quickly, you know, some things uh, that they wouldn't. I was like wondering about uh, in first century worship uh, gatherings, if, people, if there were different like sections like there are in the 20th and 21st century, you know that there's different sections in the, in the church. No, you don't know this. I'm going to give you a little insight, a little pastoral insight. Okay, you folks usually in, the, in this, this section are the charismatics, all right? <laughs> Very passionate, the first row. The second row is usually, you know, a charismatic that, that has a little sin in their life that they're worried about. They don't want to get in the front row, but... But they're back there, you know, and you can know one of these people because they're doing the Jesus Nene during the, they're rocking the Jesus Nene, which is really, it's pretty cool and, and everything. And then I love this section right here because this is, this is like the Baptists. They don't want to be, they don't want to really be associated with the charismatics, but they want people to know they're right with the Lord. They're not crazy. Jesus freaks, but they're, they're good. They believe in the Bible, and, and, and then you get a little bit farther out into the wings, and this is more, you know, your, your Methodists, 
you know, they're, they're easygoing, and, and they're, you know, they're about love and everything, and, and, but then they don't want to really be with these people. And then, you know, you get, you get out to uh, this section, this section over here, this, this is my section. When I, if you ever wonder where, I, where Pastor Mark sits, Pastor Mark sits over here, because <laughs> these are my peeps, you know. You know, you, you got some of the crazy nay-nayers going. Yeah, you know, it's cool and everything. You know, you get the, you get a, a few amens and then things like that. But we're, you know, we're pretty open-minded. We want to keep an eye on all the rest of you and everything. And but we don't want anybody like walking up behind us either. Any crazy like you know things going on behind us. So we feel safe over here. We're good. Now this section, these are your reformed people. These are the people who think, you know what? If God wants me to have a seat, I'll have a seat. I'll just show up whenever I want. If God wills it, it'll all be good. If God doesn't will it, I'll just go, you know, go home. Listen to, you know, listen to some uh, John Piper or something, you know, on the radio. So, you know, I wonder, you know, was there like different sections like that? And is everybody offended? Now is everybody, so there you go, there's a little insight, so you're, you know, does anybody need to change sections, like it's your first time and you're like, oh crud, I need to be with the Jesus nay-nayers or, or, or the, no, everybody's good? Oh, wait, wait, we got two people moving, what section are you going to? Where we go, let's watch them, what section are you going, you're just leaving, you're just like, there they go, all right, very good, well, you know, the, the idea of, of, of worship, uh, again, is, is, has been very, uh, has made, been uh, made very narrow in, in, our, in our church culture. And really, uh, the first century, wor- first century worship was about expression or acts that created a world ordered before God. This is a larger kind of understanding of of our actions and our expressions actually changed the order of the world and orientated the world toward a loving and holy God. And one of my favorite theologians, Scott McKnight, and uh, I have a book out in 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 the bookcase out there. I don't know if you know about the bookcase out there, but but the pastoral staff takes books that have been meaningful to us and we make them available to you just so you know what we're reading and uh, to give you the opportunity to just kind of read along. Well, Scott McKnight wrote a book uh, many years ago about, uh, called The King, Je- King Jesus Gospel. And uh, he's one of my favorite theologians. Uh, I quote him quite a bit. He's formed a lot of, of my thinking and he also has a blog. And uh, in his blog this week, interestingly enough, uh, he was reviewing uh, a book called Ancient Christian Worship by Andrew McGowan. And uh, I, in, in, just to let you know, full, I haven't finished this book. I, I've started it, but I wanted to grab uh, some things that I've, I glimpsed out of this book that I think are really, really important. One thing that, that uh, McGowan does is he, he goes back in the historical and theological uh, uh, antiquity and really pulls out six things that were uh, that framed the idea of worship in the first century. And 
I think this will be really helpful for us as we think about what uh, our, our uh, four brothers and sisters in Christ uh, thought about worship and how we weave that into us uh, as worshipers here in the 21st century. So here are some of the things that, that uh, a first century Christian uh, would have uh, thought of, of worship. Number one is food. That food was a big deal, that eating with one another and having food was a big deal, and also the Lord's table was a big deal. And, and the Lord's table in the first century is not a little cracker and a little bit of uh, grape juice like, like it is uh, uh, today in, in, our, in our worship gatherings, that it was a full meal. It was a Passover Seder. It took a lot of time, and uh, there's this idea of, of food was very central to worship. Now, maybe this is, is uh, popping in your head going like, oh, well, maybe that makes a lot more sense, like why, you know, food being offered to idols and eating food that was offered to idols uh, was a big deal in the first century for some people, because that, that worship was, uh, was so connected with the food and the meals that they had. Uh, another thing that was essential in the concept of, of worship was uh, the Word of God, Scripture. That, that, you know, that when you open up the Bible and, and you read it, and especially when you read it uh, out loud and, and in community, that 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 is bringing glory to God, that you, you are ordering the world toward God. Number three is what we are all very familiar with is, is musical worship. You know, that music, that, that song and dance uh, was, was absolutely essential. You know, and, and, and again, this is one of these kind of this gaps, like if you, you know, in, the, in our language, when like after the gathering, it's like, wow, you know, musical or worship was really great today. What are people usually referencing? Yeah, they're, they're, they're referencing the music. The music was good. It was soaring. It was, uh, uh, it engaged people to engage with Jesus, and, 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 which is a good thing, but it's not the whole thing. Um, and then the next one is initiation. You know, just there's this community aspect of bringing people into the body of Christ. And that's through baptism. And that's why uh, I personally really like seeing baptisms happening on Sunday. And church people a lot of time are like, hey, can I get baptized here and there and, and everywhere? And even though that, that's good and that's great and that, and that can work, but but. An element of worship is initiation. When you're baptized, you're, you're identifying with Jesus, but you're also identifying with the body of Christ. And it's part of worship as we do as a, as, as a church. And, you know, in the first century, anointing, uh, anointing people and, and foot washing and service and, and things like that is a part of worship. Also, for the first century Christian, that, that uh, prayer. That, that spending time communicating with God or collectively coming together and spending time in, in prayer and 
And not only just in words, but in meditation and, and different pathways to uh, communicating with God. And then also uh, through, through text, you know, that, that reading the written word that uh, somebody writes a prayer and then the body collectively reads that prayer. And then finally, uh, setting aside time. Just setting aside time to be holy. Now, holy can have two meanings. We talked about this in the, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, that holy can mean absolutely pure like God is, but also uh, holy can mean setting apart time for the ex- uh, explicit purpose to bring God glory. And this is done, uh, as you can see in the New Testament, through feasts and, and people fasting and things. And that You're taking certain amount of time and saying, during this certain amount of time that we are going to devote ourselves, we are going to set ourselves apart for God's purpose. And that's one of the big things about Pathways is this is a six-week journey that we are setting apart time to, uh, as, as for God's purpose. And that's why our church, uh, our body comes together and we use our gifts to uh, put together a Pathways workbook. Uh, Hopefully that you picked one up. Did everybody get one on the way in? If you didn't get one on the way in, please get one on the the way out. And uh, so you can follow along in this this holy time in our church, this six-week journey. And our hope is in how we design this is that you will bring this each Sunday as you come. There's a place for notes and to write questions and thoughts and everything, and that you'll take those questions and thoughts to a growth group, and you'll do the going deeper with, uh, with uh, the people that you're in the growth group with, and that hopefully there's, uh, there's uh, spiritual conversations worth having happening here on the Sunday morning and inspiring you to have larger conversations uh, throughout the week. So those are the, the six things of, of how, how first century Christians would have thought about worship. Again, that's, you know, eating. Eating together was huge. Reading and preaching together. Music, singing and dancing together initiating people into community, giving people pathways into community. Prayer time, spending time and just pouring out, you know, their hearts to God. And then again, setting aside a time aside for God's glory. And I think as you look at this, this idea of, of worship, and you think about these six things, some of them are readily apparent, like, yeah, we do that. Like, that's part of our life. But, I, but I, I, when I look at those six things, and I think, you know what? If we were, the closer we get to those, those six things, not so much as a checkoff list, but as who we are as worshipers, as who we are as followers of, of Jesus, as we come together the healthier and, and closer we will be to, to being the personification of Jesus. One of these kind of these ideas of, of worship and being all-inclusive as who we are as people instead of what we do in a certain you know, time on Sunday, 
I think, is really brought out in Paul's uh, uh, letter to the church in Corinth. Um, specifically, I want to bring up uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. What was happening here was Christians were getting all wrapped around the axle because uh, some Christians were eating and, or bringing to their community meals food that, that had previously been offered to idols. Now, the, a lot of ways, the, the way we think of worship in the 21st century, like we think, well, who cares? Whatever. You know, discount me. You know, what, who, what's the big deal? But if you directly connect what you eat with your uh, focus and devotion to, to Jesus, you can see that this could be a pretty big issue. And what Paul is talking about here in the church in Corinth, going like, in actuality, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you eat food that was uh, previously offered to idols because what matters is not the food, but your heart. And, and, and then he goes on and said that, and this is very, very important. I think this is very telling and, and, and something that we probably have a big blind spot in the 21st century about. But in your worship, if there are people in your midst who are immature in Christ and they can't get over this idea that this, this food was once used in, in idol worship, and now think that there's something wrong with the food, even though it's a heart matter, that you know what? You need to limit your freedom for their sake in order so that they can be brought along and brought into maturity to the point where, you know what, they realize it doesn't matter. But at this point, that you need to limit your freedom. And then he says, ultimately, in verse 31... He says, so whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I think this is one of the most encompassing uh, kind of ideas about worship. That, that, you know what, no matter who you are, no matter where you work, no matter you know, what clubs you're part of, no matter what sports you're part of, no matter, uh, you know, what political party you're part of, no matter, you know, where you go for fun, do all of these things in order to, to order the world to the direction of God. When people see you at work, when they are ordered, they, 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 their, their perspective is changed and their thoughts are directed toward God's holiness and God's greatness. When you are playing sport, that the way that you, that you engage and play, that, that people's thoughts and minds and hearts, even if they're not followers of Jesus, that they see you and see how you conduct yourself, and 
they see that you are worshiping, that you are ordered before God, and they see that. And this is what Paul is, is trying to communicate. Unfortunately, there's been a noticeable shift in church worship in the 20, you know, 20th and 21st century. Ancient worship was about the church communally living life as the personification of Jesus in order to bring glory to God. Let me say that again. Ancient worship was all-encompassing, and it was about the church communally living as the body of Christ, living as the personification of Jesus in order to bring glory to God. That's when Paul would go out and, you know, make tents, that he would make the best tents. And the reason that he did, made tents instead of receiving a salary was, in his mind, that brought glory to God. That, that, that is what we are doing as followers of Christ. So when you're at work, you can be a worship leader. When you're on the field, you can be a worship leader. When you are at your uh, assembly meeting or, or, or even, you know, at the Capitol. You can be a worship leader. In fact, as a follower of Christ, you are called to be a worship leader. Unfortunately, in 21st century, we have really narrowed down this idea of worship to, to either just an hour on Sunday or even smaller, just the musical aspect of, of musical worship, and it's shifted. And, it, and it's even more damaging than, than that because a lot of ways we've shifted worship to, uh, to an inward expression of like, God, fill me. And when we can worship, and it doesn't matter who's sitting on the left or the right of us, there's a real issue there in biblical, the biblical understanding of worship because the biblical understanding of worship is that we are to be the body of Christ and that we are interreliant on one another and that who we are worshiping with is every bit as important. This is going to be controversial, but it's biblical, and I'll back it up. And I, you want to have this conversation, I'd love to have it. Let me say it now. Who you're worshiping with is every bit as important to God as your devotion to Him. Okay? And we'll talk about that. I don't have time today, but if you want, please, let's talk about it. I'm not challenging you. I'm just saying this. I'm passionate about this. And I, and I believe there's lots of biblical support for it. Romans 12. Verses 1 through 5, Paul writing uh, to the Christians of Rome uh, really gives uh, a really nice kind of uh, picture of worship, and I wanted to share this with you. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. 
This is truly the way to worship him. What song does he mention there? Bueller? Yeah. <laughs> None. Let me read that again. Let's re like thinking about ancient uh, our uh, you know ancient brothers and sisters who were followers of Christ and how they thought of worship. And dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all of he, because of all He has done for you. <laughs> Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. What can we learn from what is in that, just that first section? We're going to go farther. But in that first section, what is Paul talking about? Living your life, all of your life, not only your physical life, but your whole being to be set aside, to be a holy sacrifice, living holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. In essence, living a life of worship. A businessman is a worship leader again. A school teacher who is a worship leader. That, that a, a, you know, a cyclist who is a worship leader. Ordering the world toward God is worship. And it is all of our responsibilities. Then verse 2, he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, we are all worshipers. And he's saying, look, what, how, your actions, your attitude... Whatever that directs people toward, you are directing them toward worship. And what he is saying here is, look, if you copy the behaviors and customs of the world, and a lot of people have taken this in a really shallow, shallow sense of, you know, really shallow things. Paul's not talking about shallow kind of customs and things like that, like brushing your teeth, which is a custom of the world. He's talking about heart stuff. He's talking about the customs of the world that of greed and, and anger and pride and all of these kind of different things. And he's saying, you know what? If that is the customs of the world is for uh, self-satisfaction and to reject that and to be the worship leader that orders the world toward God. Verse 3, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by faith, the faith that God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we belong to each other. I love that he connects the body of Christ with his, this biblical understanding of worship. You know what this means? 
This is a beautiful picture for all of us who are worship leaders. And if you're a follower of Christ, you're a worship leader, but you're also part of the body of Christ. And we are not called to do everything, but we are called to do our part in the body of Christ. And this is a beautiful thing, and it is a freeing thing. This means that, you know what? The teachers can teach and the musicians can play. And those who are serving can, uh, can serve. And, you know, the tech people can do the tech thing and the growth group leaders can facilitate their groups and the, and the graphic artists are leading worship and how, how they, they uh, make images to, to inspire us. And you know what else? Those of us who, who are business people, worship leaders, and, 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 and know how to make money in the American economy, guess what? You are able to push funds into the body of Christ so that those who care about the least of these and their heart beats toward that, you know, that they'll have the resources to go and, and bless the least of these, that, that the resources to teach the next generation and all of these things. And when it, I believe that when the church is functioning as the body, as a healthy body, God is glorified and there's nothing more beautiful on earth. It is absolutely wonderful. And also it is so freeing because you know what? If you you know, like to, to make money, but you don't like to actually give bread to, uh, you know, to uh, impoverished people, guess what? You don't have to. You have to be part of that as the body of Christ, but you don't have to be the hand. You can, you can be the pocket. You know what? If you don't have a lot of resources and a lot of, and a lot of money, you know, that, you know what? You don't have to fund a big project or, or something like that. That's not your part in the body. That's not your part as being a worship leader. Your part of the worship leader is, is to do what God has called you to do and to order people toward God through your part. And when that happens, when we are all working together, that, that the gospel is brought alive. The good news of Jesus is brought alive. And there's nothing more satisfying as a worship leader, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but I do. When you go to bed at night, and the body that you, the local body that you're a part of, you know that they are ministering, and, but it's your time to rest. And you just feel comfort trusting that your church, your, the body that you're part of, the, body, the personification of Jesus, is working as it should. And you sleep really, really well. No guilt. Actually, excitement. Because there's nothing more exciting for, for, for someone to know what God has called them to do, and they are fulfilling their part. And they, as a whole, we are worshipers, but also individually, we are worship leaders, and it is a beautiful thing. So ultimately, we are all to be worship leaders, living a life of worship to order the creation toward God. 
The, the word worship here in Romans is uh, latria, which really holds this kind of understanding of ethos or the Christian way of life. And the Christian way of life is to order creation toward God. Because ultimately, first and foremost, we are worshipers. Now, we can be Christian worshipers or we can be pagan. First and foremost, we are worshipers. Christian worshipers that our lives are oriented around Scripture and what it means to follow Christ. We have a graphic, we call it the axis graphic, that if you look in the pathways, uh, or excuse me, in the purpose book, you'll see uh, at its core, at the center we say we are first and foremost worshipers. And then those arrows point out to our uh, different expressions of how we order the world toward Jesus. At the top, it's inviting people into a restored relationship with God. To uh, the east, uh, it points to this idea of doing life together communally. On the bottom, it's this idea of teaching one another, teaching one another, you know what? The meat doesn't matter, your heart matters. And then finally, how we serve. How are we the tangible hand of Christ as the church? And one of the beautiful things is, and this, if you don't get anything else out of today, get this. Humanity was created to worship. Okay? Humanity was created to worship. Who or what you worship is determined by your devotion. We are all created to worship. And that is, and every single person is a worshiper. They don't all worship God, the one true God, but they do worship something, worship money, worship power, worship uh, uh, sex. They worship all sorts of different things. Paul talks about this in, in Colossians chapter 3, 5. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for greedy a person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And again, who or what we worship is determined by our devotion. Who, where we are putting our attention, which direction are we going? Which direction are we ordering the world toward? And one of the most beautiful and freeing things that, that I can think of is this idea that, you know what, worship can be anything that is ordained by God and is set aside for His purpose. You know, when you eat, it is a worship experience, right? I mean, how cool is that? You know, finish a meal and say, wow, that was, a, that was a great worship experience. That was awesome. That, you know, the way we ate and, and what we ate and who we ate with ordered the world toward God. You know, you may need to plug your ears for this one. Okay, but I'm going to say it because it is holy and biblical. Sex 
can be a worship experience and should be. You know, this idea that God doesn't want you to have sex, that's not true. God's all about sex. He created sex. He told Moses to be fruitful and multiply. Yes. Right? He's like looking at, why can't I get a prescription like that from God? You know. I mean, this is to order people toward God. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. You know, say people, you know, to tell our kids don't have sex. That is not what God says. God says, you know what? Have lots of sex when you meet your the person that you are ready to make a commitment to for the rest of your life. And you know what? Your marriage and everything that has to do with it will, can literally order people toward God. That your children, and you may not know this, but as a result of sex, <laughs> Right? Okay, all right. Amen. I got an amen. Okay. His order, you know, that, that babies, you know, and, and, and children, you know, order the world toward God. That is worship. And it's a beautiful thing. Let me close with, with this picture of worship in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. They, the First Christians worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What did you notice about that? There's a lot of words about doing things together and coming together, and eating together, and then when you do that in praising God and ordering the world toward God, what happens? Even more people come because they are moved toward God. And this is the beautiful thing about ancient worship, how our ancient brothers and sisters in Christ thought about worship. That it wasn't something that they went to or did, but it was something that they lived. That they were all worship leaders. And I think a lot of times that, that people get saved, but they miss the rich and abundant life that Jesus came to offer them. And I, I think a lot of times is because of a narrow view of worship. That, that this narrow view is like, you know what, it's just me and you, Jesus. It's just me and you, Jesus. You know, Jesus, fill me, Jesus. You know, we, you know, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. And that's as far as it ever goes. And then at some point, they're like, why am I so empty? Why, why am I not fulfilled anymore? Or why, why, what, what, what is missing? I haven't found what I, I'm looking for. And I've seen so many people just kind of wash out because they never found what matters. And you know what? 
Jesus matters. Like, don't get me wrong. Salvation matters, but it's not the whole story. Because we were saved by grace, but we were also saved for a purpose. And that is to be part of the body of Christ to order the world toward Jesus. And perhaps if you're sitting here and, and saying, you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm still seeking. I, I, I haven't experienced this rich and abundant life. Perhaps it's because you haven't invested in the, being part of the body of Christ. You haven't become a living and holy sacrifice and lead worshiper in your life. And I want to suggest that over the next six weeks that you set aside this holy time, a time set aside for God's purpose to investigating and being part of the body of Christ. And we've created several pathways for you to do that. See how I said pathways in there? That's how I lead worship. Thank you. Sometimes I think I'm so clever. <laughs> Rarely is it true, right? Because that's, being clever is not my part of the body. All right, here we go. I'll just stick with my points. You know, you just want to sit there and be grumpy. All right. When you're in town, come to a worship gathering. Okay? We're setting the bar really high here. Whew! You mean if I'm in Tallahassee, I should pull myself out of bed and be part of the body of Christ? Yes. At least for the next six weeks, try it out. Make it a priority. Pick up a Pathways workbook and uh, bring it on Sundays and also bring it to your growth group. If you're not part of a growth group, go to the Pathways booth, see Desmond. I don't know where he is, but uh, see you in here, Desmond? No? Oh, Julie? Julie's there. I, sorry, I couldn't see. Go see Julie. She'll give you, sign, help you sign up for a Pathways Growth Group. Holy time, six weeks. If the people are, you know, weird, Jesus nay-nayers or something, or the predestination guy or whatever, you know, whatever group. If it's not the right section, it's only six weeks, you may learn something. All right. So, and pick up your book. What do we got next here? Sorry. Uh... Do, do, do. Oh, in the Pathways uh, workbook, uh, there is, every year we do a spiritual assessment for the, our body of Christ. So this just helps us know where we are as, as a body and helps us plan series and, 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 and we're, what we're going to talk about. So please fill that out and put it in the pyramid. And then finally, uh, attend and serve uh, Pathways Connexity events. Good, good news, the first one is very, very easy. In fact, you have to be rebellious and black-hearted not to go to it because there are five food trucks out there. There's bouncers, bouncy, bounce, bounce something, not bouncers. If you're unruly, we got bouncers. Throw you out. <laughs> there's food, there's bouncy house, there's like all band, all sorts of, so... Like, you'll have to consciously, like, have to go out the back not to be part of that. 
So, uh, but there's other ones. But not only attend, but serve at them. And these, these Connexity events take a lot of work for hundreds of people to put together. And, and you know what? We're a family, and we all come together to, to do these things, you know, and even if you're not part of, you know, the organization part of it, you can help, you know, hang out, and there's always cleanup and stuff like that. So those six things. Come to a worship gathering if you're in town. Pick up a workbook. Uh, go, uh, sign up for a growth group. Develop the uh, spiritual assessment, and come to the Connexity events. But basically, over the next six weeks, be fully engaged in community, and be a worship leader, ordering people toward God. Will you pray with me?